You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Cougar Talk Podcast. Super excited to be back on a week where we can actually review a game for BYU. We can actually do a preview, I should say, of an opponent. Last week, if you missed last week's episode, we just did a little bit of a bi-week episode where we went over some things we'd like to see for the rest of the season. We went over some things we're looking forward to outside of BYU, but we are super excited to be back previewing an actual game that BYU will be playing this week. Now, I'm Dylan, and joining me today is my good friend, Chris, and we are here for your weekly podcast on all things BYU football and all things college football. Chris, how have you been since we last recorded? I've been good. I've been excited for the game coming up. Having a having a bye week is fun, but it's a little bit sad at the same time. So I'm happy to be back into a preview in a game this week. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I do want to talk with you all about Coo Connect. We've talked a lot about Coo Connect before. We are always going to plug them though because they are fantastic. So as we are all aware, the landscape of college football is constantly changing, especially right now with NIL being added into all of it. And NIL plays a big role in getting guys to play for our school and getting guys to want to stay here. So if you want to be involved in the world of NIL with BYU specifically, make sure you subscribe to Coo Connect. It's just a small monthly subscription where you get access to player written reports. You get access to exclusive gear, even access to opportunities to meet and hang out with the players. So if you're interested in becoming a Coo Connect subscriber, make sure you go to our website, cougartalkpodcast.com. From there, we have an option just at the very bottom for subscribe to Coo Connect. That button will take you to their website well, there, where they will get you all taken care of. So make sure you subscribe. All that money is going to go towards those NIL opportunities for BYU Athletics. Now, we always like to start our episodes talking a little bit about players who came from BYU who are now currently in the NFL and are playing great. So there is one player in particular that this past week has really stood out who has gotten a lot of media attention, a lot of love, and that is Fred Warner on the 49ers. Now, if you are not following Fred already in his career, he is arguably the best linebacker currently in the league. There's a very good case that can be made about that right now. It's kind of been between him and Bobby Wagner, at least from what I've seen as of late. But Fred is killing it with the 49ers. This past week, they played the Dallas Cowboys, and they won 42-10. to And in that game, if we take a look at the box score, Fred had eight total tackles. Five of them were solo tackles. He had a sack and a tackle for loss. He had one QB hit and one pass deflected. So Fred had himself a day against a Cowboys offense that should be a good offense. They did not look like a good offense last week, though, against this 49ers defense. And a big part of that was Fred. Fred is doing his thing for the 49ers, so I wanted to make sure I gave him a shout-out. Chris, is there any other player that you want to give a shout-out to in the league? Yeah, just a couple quick little shout-outs. First of all, I wanted to get Zach Wilson. He didn't have a spectacular day by any means, but he completed 73 for, 73% of his passes. He had 200 yards passing, and he helped get the Jets a win against the Broncos. It's a step in the right direction to see him putting – 
a few weeks back to back where he's had some good games and we'll see if he can keep adding to that. And then as well, Puka Nakua, even with Cooper Cup coming back, recorded his second touchdown on a beautiful deep ball down the sideline, had 71 yards and is still second in the NFL in receiving yards. So we're going to keep shouting him out as long as he keeps playing the way that he is. Now, this past week was kind of a boring one, I guess some people would say, for us BYU fans because we did not have a game. But it came at the perfect time having this bye week. So let's go over a little bit about some of the news that we've heard from the bye week, some of the things that we've heard in interviews, just an overall review of what took place during the bye week for BYU. Yeah, so we have a couple injury updates. It sounds like Ben Bywater will probably not be playing this weekend, and Talon Alfrey still out as well. We heard that we might be getting most of our guys back, but those two are still up in the air and probably doubtful for this game. Uh, we will probably be getting Isaiah Glasker back, and we have heard that Cody Epps and Parker Kingston will both play. So we get a couple much-needed additions to the receiver room, which is going to be a big need for this week. Absolutely. I think I think it can't really be overstated how important it is to get both of those guys, Cody and Parker, back. Parker already, I mentioned last week, has been a surprise this season with how involved in the offense he has been, but he plays a big role in our momentum and just stretching the field a little bit more. And then I think it also goes without being said with Cody, how much of a leader Cody is, how much of a you know number one option he can be when he's healthy. We saw it last year against Notre Dame and Arkansas specifically. So really looking forward to having both of those guys back from injury. Now, a couple things that I personally wanted to point out from this bye week that stood out to me just as I watched the media availability after the practices this week is kind of just the approach that the team overall has had with this bye week. There is definitely, you know, a noticeable difference from most teams after a bye week. Either that team is going to come out fire and they're going to come out hot and they're going to have so much momentum or they're going to come out of that bye week and have taken a couple steps back or going to be a little bit sluggish. And I loved what we heard from the players this week of practices about their approach going into the bye week last week. You know, specifically, we had an interview with Crew Wakely where he talked about, you know, just making sure that everybody approached it with the idea of never turning that switch off as in really approaching the week only for recovery, but not getting out of your groove, making it beneficial, doing all that you need to. And then one other specific interview actually took place today when we're recording this on Wednesday. It was with A-Rod, and he said specifically that they kind of treated this bye week like fall camp. They had high intensity. They had a lot of action. They had a lot of contact and you know they were trying to be as physical as they possibly could to avoid that you know sluggish start this next week. So I loved what I heard from that. You know, whether we actually see the results of that or not is going to be a big part of this week's game against TCU. But, you know, it's always good hearing that type of approach with a bye week that you want to take advantage of it in the best way possible. And because of the placement of this bye week, we are able to get at least some of our injured players back. Yeah, absolutely. Getting guys healthy and getting really reset for the rest of Big 12 play is going to be a big win for us. And now looking forward to the TCU game. Game details, we have a 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff. We'll be on ESPN, so that's a fun little change. We get a daytime slot on ESPN. Uh, the uniform combo that we're wearing, we've got our white helmets, our white jerseys with the royal blue pants. We have a royal face mask as well. It's 
arguably the cleanest away look that BYU has. Really excited to see this out on the field, and I think this game is going to be pretty fun. Just looking into the game, uh, what have what have you seen from TCU? Kind of break down, just kind of a basic breakdown of what you see from them so far. Yeah, absolutely. So TCU is three and three on the season, but they are currently on a losing streak. They lost last week to Iowa State. They lost the week before to West Virginia. And one of the biggest things that I think is going to be talked about all week leading up to the game and talked about during that game is in their loss last week against Iowa State, they also lost their starting quarterback, Chandler Morris. So he is, we have already heard, he is not going to be playing at all this week against BYU. TCU is going to be riding heavily on their backup quarterback in Josh Hoover and even more so on their rushing attack. So that's kind of the big thing that stands out to me is I think we might see a little bit different of a TCU team than we have already seen this season just in their approach to the game. I don't think they're going to be able to have as much success passing any longer with their backup quarterback in, and I think they're going to rely a lot on that running game. So that's that's really the first initial thing that stands out to me about TCU is you know that sort of quarterback situation there they're going to you know have a guy who last week when he subbed in for that injured Chandler Morris he finished the game with an interception and a touchdown with 119 yards off 11 completions and so he didn't really get too much momentum going heading into this week should be a good opportunity for BYU's defense yeah, it is definitely going to be a challenge. I I got some help on my scouting report from our buddy Jackson at House of BYU on Twitter here. But just going over some of the notes that we have, uh, it does, they're running back. Imani Bailey has 690 rushing yards, only two touchdowns, but he is top five in the nation in most rushing stats. He is going to be a force to deal with. He kind of reminds me of Devin Neal from Kansas, but a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. That's that's my that's going to be a challenge for the defense. And in addition, TCU has a lot of speed. They're going to try and spread the field out. They're going to go coast to coast, left and right. They're going to push us in every single way that they can. And seeing how this defense responds to that speed is going to be an interesting test. We have struggled with that in the past when people are able to get outside the edges and be able to push our linebackers to really cover a lot of ground. And so one of the big keys to this game is going to be stopping that TCU rushing attack, forcing forcing Hoover to throw the ball because he, he was okay coming out of high school, but he does have limited college action. If you can get some pressure on him and force him to throw the ball, you can probably make a lot of things work. So really it's going to come down to stopping the run and keeping the speed of TCU contained. Absolutely. And on that point, even with their starting quarterback, Chandler Morris, on the season, they have eight interceptions through six games. Four of them were actually last week against Iowa State. So that played a huge role in that game. But Chandler Morris had two interceptions last game. Josh Hoover had the one interception. So the fact that they are turning over the ball through these passes does show that they're Passing offense already isn't very efficient. They do struggle with that at times. And so I I definitely agree there that the key is going to be making them beat us through the air. You know, we kind of had this same approach with Cincinnati and Emory Jones where we wanted them to beat us with his arm rather than with the run game. 
And I agree that that's going to be a big part of this game. And, you know, even outside of Bailey, their amazing running back, they have other dudes who really could run the ball. They have a power back in Sanders who only has 149 yards on the season, but he has four touchdowns as well. So their run game is very strong. They're going to really stretch the field, as you said before. So it's going to be a good test to see how we can really prepare for a team like TCU. We're going to get a good glimpse of even more so how Jay Hill is going to approach a game like this and really see if there is going to be that improvement compared to last season where teams could run the ball all over us no matter who they were or no matter you know how much we tried to prepare for it. We saw teams running over, running over us all the time last season, so I really am actually looking forward to see how our defense handles this running game with TCU. Now on the defensive side of the ball, I think one of TCU's strengths personally is actually their linebackers. They're actually fairly similar to BYU where some of their best defenders are going to be their linebackers. I mean, just taking a look at their season stats so far, their leading tacklers are, again, just like BYU, it's a linebacker, linebacker, linebacker. Those are their top three, and then it goes to a safety. So they rely heavily on their linebackers to make those those plays. Yeah, and TCU runs a 3-3-5 scheme, so really they rely on the linebackers to do a lot of work, having subbing out one guy from the front seven and bringing in a secondary. And so those linebackers being good for them is going to be a big deal. However, with that 3-3-5, you would expect the pass defense to be a little bit better having an extra defensive back on the field. But Colorado threw for over 500 yards on TCU, and they rank 91st in the pass versus FBS teams. So given BYU's passing attack, there is an opportunity there to get something going through the air, to be able to get a lot of yards through the air and open things up for the game on the ground. In the last two weeks, uh, TCU has lost to Iowa State and West Virginia. They've given up 200-plus yards rushing to each of those teams. And so if we can get the pass game working, it might open up a lot for the run game to get going as well. We know BYU's run game this year has not been great. And so if we're able to get something going with the rush game, it's probably going to have to come from the pass game first. So if we can throw the ball, we can probably run the ball but it'll all depend on opening up the field for each side of that, each side of the offense to be able to work. And, and we did see glimpses of that actually in our last game two weeks ago against Cincinnati. Our pass game actually opened up the run game a little bit more. And Jackson, our friend Jackson, actually went over that a lot more in depth in last week's episode. So make sure if you didn't hear that one, give it a good listen. Jackson talks about how our pass game made them step back a lot more on defense and it allowed LJ to make that first move and fight an opening a little bit easier. So I really kind of hope that we take advantage of that against this TCU defense. As you mentioned, with that 3-3-5, you know, they have that extra defensive back in there. And I would love to see LJ just have the opportunity to get to that second level and, you know, have an opportunity to just plow over some of those defensive backs and really give him the opportunity to have a very high usage game, which we haven't really seen quite yet. But as you mentioned, just based off of what we've seen already so far this season, it's probably going to start from having that passing offense opening up, opening it up for the rushing offense. Now, I do want to also just kind of on that point, go over some of the weaknesses we've seen from TCU so far. 
some other things that BYU can kind of exploit to get a win this week. And my, my personal big thing is TCU struggles taking care of the ball. As I just mentioned before, they've already thrown eight interceptions through six games. And on the season, they're minus three on the turnover margin. So they, they struggle taking care of the ball, especially through the year. And that's something that I really, really want to see our defense take advantage of. We've already seen that our defense can take advantage of those opportunities. And really the reason BYU is winning games is because we are taking advantage of those situations, of those short fields. Even if we're not returning it for a pick six like we did against Cincinnati, we're still getting good field position and our offense is taking advantage of that. Yeah, and you mentioned the turnover battle there, TCU being minus three in the turnover margin this year. It feels like most of BYU's games have come down to turnovers this year. The Kansas game, we had the two turnovers returned for touchdowns that ended up being a major difference in the game. Against Arkansas, we were able to win the turnover battle there. And despite losing in most statistical categories and yards and things like that, winning the turnover battle kind of equalizes that there. So BYU's defense is going to have to come out and we're going to have to keep that trend going from TCU to be able to get turnovers and on offense in turn, take care of the ball. Because even though BYU has been outplayed per se in a lot of these games, we've been able to hold on and get wins because of that turnover margin. So honestly, that might be the single most important stat at the end of the game is who wins the turnover margin is more than likely going to win this game. I agree. Whoever wins the turnover margin in this one is going to be, you know, most likely going to win this game. It's going to play a huge role in this. But I think even more importantly is if this turnover margin ends up being 0-0, you know, we still need to be able to be the team that comes out on top through other sources, through an efficient offense, through an offense that is taking care of the ball and a defense that is stopping the TCU run game. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the defense stopping the run game, we were looking at third downs for TCU. They only convert on about 43, 44% of their third downs. But I just noticed something. They have gone for it 19 times on fourth down this year. So TCU is going to go for it a lot on fourth down. If we can get them into fourth downs, fourth and either three to five yards where they'll go for it, but it's not an easy conversion, we can get off the field and get great field position that way. TCU does convert just barely over 50% of those fourth downs, but that is an opportunity for the defense to get some stops without winning a turnover. Or like you said, if we don't get the turnovers, we still have ways to come out and win the game like that. So there is an opportunity there to be had by the defense. Now with, with all of this said, you know, with talking about their weakness and their strengths, we've kind of briefly touched on this, but I want to talk really about the keys to the game. What is it going to actually take for BYU to win this matchup against TCU. Yeah, so starting off, like I was saying earlier, the first key is to win the turnover battle. We have a young quarterback at TCU starting in his first career game. We need to be able to put pressure on him and force havoc plays by the defense. We need to be in the backfield getting sacks, putting pressure on him, making their offense struggle for yards. And then talking about TCU's third down efficiency, I was looking at BYU's. Ours is 35% this year. That is that is an abysmal number that needs to be better. We need to convert on third downs, and we need our average depth of third downs to be third and short, third and five or less. I've noticed a lot of times, this might just be anecdotal, but on first down, we'll throw the ball for an incompletion. Second down, we'll run up the middle, and suddenly we find ourselves in third and nine a lot of the time. 
we need to be able to get third downs and short, third down and medium, and be able to convert on those at a much higher clip if we want to hold on to the ball and not get dominated in the time of possession. Absolutely, and that's going to play a big role, especially in stopping the TCU running offense because the more time we hold on to the ball, the more time our defense is off the field, and the more time they're going to be able to rest and not get gassed against this running attack. Now, my one of my keys to the game is really just stopping that running attack, and I think the best way to do so is really just loading the box as much as possible and relying on our defensive backs to make the play if needed when they're passing the ball. But even even more than that, you know, I think if we can hold TCU to under 30 points, we should be able to win this game. Taking a look at their schedule so far this year, they have won, you know, almost every single game that they have scored more than 30 points in outside of that Colorado matchup. And in their losses, they have scored less than 30 points outside of that Colorado loss. So it's really going to come down to really limiting their offense. And I trust our offense to be able to score points against their defense. So it's really going to come down to if we can stop their offense. Their offense is more of their strength, I would say, this season. And if we're able to stop that offense, I think we should be able to have a good control of this game. And then, you know, just another big thing that I want to point out is this very well could end up being the battle of linebackers. You know, it's going to come down to which linebackers can really play more assignment sound, whether that's dropping in the coverage, containing a quarterback, or stopping the run. And it's going to be very interesting to see, especially where we are going to be without Ben Bywater. We're going to have another game where Harrison Taggart is expected to step up and play a major role in our defense, covering the middle of that field. And I'm really excited, actually, for that. I think he's going to be just himself alone, a big contributor to this game. So that's one other key to the game that I want to give is just Harrison having another great game with a lot of tackles. Yeah, and just one more key sticking on the defensive side of the ball. Hoover is a more traditional quarterback than Chandler was. He does have the ability to sit back in the pocket and be able to throw the deep ball. Our corners have been excellent at guarding the boundaries one-on-one, deep balls, everything like that. It's going to be a big test this week with the speed and the talent that the TCU has to be able to keep that up. I think the cornerback play is going to have to be immaculate in order to be able to keep the keep the pass game under wraps. So I think we need at least one interception from a defensive back to be able to really keep that passing game in check. Love it. Well, with with that said, let's go ahead and make our predictions for this game. So again, just to review, this is going to be 1.30 p.m. kickoff at TCU on Saturday. And Chris, what are your predictions on the score, players of the game on both sides of the ball, and a hot take? Yeah, so I'll start. I'll go ahead and start out with the player of the game on both sides of the ball. I think the offensive player of the game is going to be Chase Roberts. I think with TCU's pass defense being a little spotty, they're going to hone in on Isaac Rex as much as they can. I think Chase Roberts is going to have an excellent game. On defense, I I think I'm going to go with Jacob Robinson. I think TCU is going to try and get the ball going out. I think the linebackers and defensive line are going to at least stop the run game as much as they can. But I think he's going to make a few big plays this game that we look back on and think that might have won us the game on its own right there. My final score prediction, I have BYU at 28, TCU at 20. 
that it is barely a one-score game, but I do think we come out with the win here. I think the offense will get it going enough to be able to hold TCU back. And like you said, if we can get to 28, 31 points, I think we'll be good there. And my hot take is that BYU will record at least three interceptions this week. I think the defense is going to come out firing. We've had a lot of time to prepare for TCU. New quarterback. I think everything is in the mix to get three interceptions this week. I love that. I I, I absolutely agree there. I think, you know, it's going to be a really good opportunity for our defense. For my final score prediction, I'm actually going to predict that the final score is very close to yours. I'm actually going to say 28 to 24. I think it's going to be within one score. I think we are going to come out on top, though, and win 28 to 24. My player of the game on offense is actually going to be the exact same as yours as well. I think Chase Roberts is going to have a huge role in this win. He's kind of got some momentum rolling now. He is now our leading receiver with so much focus being on Isaac Rex. It's opening him up a lot more. So I agree there. I'm going to give it to Chase Roberts as well. Defensive side of the ball, my player of the game prediction is actually going to be Eddie Heckard. I'm going to go the same route as you, but I think they are going to be a little bit more concerned about Jacob Robinson after his performance against Cincinnati, after what we've seen from him so far. And I think they're going to try that slot a little bit more. And I think that's going to give Eddie a lot more opportunity to make a play on the ball and hopefully come away with an interception and some good pass deflections as well. My hot take for this week is actually going to be that we hold TCU under 150 rushing yards on offense. So that's kind of a hot take for BYU, especially because teams are able to find so much success running the ball against us. But I think this week we figure it out. We really get the quarterback uncomfortable and are prepared for them to rush against us. And I think that we're able to hold them under 150 yards of rushing offense. So if, if that is all done, then I think we do win, maybe even a little bit more than my final score prediction. But that's going to be my hot take for this week. I do love that. I actually, I wanted to talk about the Heckard pick really quick. I like that you mentioned testing the slot because yeah, Eddie Heckard is playing slot for us. But one other aspect of the slot corner is that he's going to be involved in the run game a lot more. Usually the slot corner will have some kind of run fit, be able to contain the edge. It'll be more involved. So I think not only will Eddie be a part of the pass game as well, but seeing how well he reacts to that run game could go well with your hot take if he plays well and can limit those outside runs. Absolutely. And on on that same point, we saw it work against Arkansas. He really played a huge role in limiting KJ Jefferson with running the ball. You know, last week we talked about one of our biggest plays of the season so far was his strip sack on KJ Jefferson. And, you know, I I think that's going to play a huge role here, whether we see him off a corner blitz or just containing that outside run, especially where they are going to try to spread the field. So absolutely. And, And, you know, hopefully, We see a 100% healthy Eddie as well. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it felt like in the Cincinnati game, he was kind of only playing every other play, switching out with Harrison Taggart. And hopefully his ankle is 100% now because I I do think they're going to try him a lot there and he's going to play a big role in our defense. Well, moving on, we are going through this episode very quickly, but that is what happens when we don't have a game from last week to review. But moving on to one of our newer segments that we really love so far already, and it's called What Would You Do? 
So in this segment, we talk about three different plays that we saw recently in college football or the NFL. We talk through the game situation, the decision that was made. And then we have, you know, three different options that we select for these plays. For one that we're going to defend defend the decision, we like the decision that was made, we would do the same thing. We're going to choose one that we would change. And then we are going to go ahead and choose one that either side of the, you know, whether we decide to change it or defend it, we're going to just talk through both sides of it a little bit and debate it a little bit. So, Chris, do you want to take us through our three plays for this week? Yeah, absolutely. The very first one is one that happened pretty recently and went a little bit viral. It was Miami being up at the end of the game, less than 40 seconds left with no timeouts. They can just kneel the ball out. Instead, they run the ball, fumble, and end up losing the game on a one-second touchdown to Georgia Tech. So the decision to not kneel there is our first one. Uh, the second one, we're taking a taking a page from the NFL. We got Giants versus Seahawks on Monday Night Football. The Giants were down 14 to three with just under three minutes left in the third. They've got fourth and one in the red zone. They ended up going for it and not getting points on that drive. Would it have been better for them to kick it, make it an eight point game, a one possession game, or was it worth it to go for that fourth and one and assume the risk on not getting it or not scoring on that drive? And then the last one is the Arizona-USC game. The game goes to overtime. USC scores a touchdown and kicks the extra point first. Arizona answers with a touchdown. And instead of going for the win with a two-point conversion, they chose to kick the PAT, tie it up, and play for more overtime. So we'll be debating the decision to not go for two on that one there as well. Two of those three plays that we're going to talk about are very back and forth with what should have been done there. The Miami one, though, is very clearly the wrong decision there so with that said is there any debate here on which bucket the Miami not kneeling the ball is going to go into no debate at all I just wanted to take a second to laugh at it because it's objectively hilarious that you can knee the ball out and win the game you choose not to do it and you immediately get bit with the worst possible karma it's it feels bad for the players but when you make a decision like that you deserve to lose the game and let's let's walk through this a little bit, just in case anybody missed it. So Georgia Tech punts the ball to Miami with about, you know, just over five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Miami has a good drive going. They are running the ball a bunch. They are able to milk the clock down. And then they get to third and 10 at the Georgia Tech 30-yard line with 30 seconds left if they kneel out the ball Miami is out of time or Georgia Tech is out of timeouts Miami is going to be able to just win the game there no questions asked but instead Miami decides to run the ball and on that running play Georgia Tech forces a fumble they recover it and then in the next drive in four plays they go 74 yards and with one second left on the clock they have a 44-yard pass for a touchdown. So because of this, they end up winning the game. Miami loses because they chose to run the ball instead of kneel out the clock, which honestly, I have no idea what they were even thinking there. Like, it makes no sense to not kneel out the clock there. That's one of the stupidest plays I've seen in a while, and that's really saying something because there have been some very stupid plays lately but 
Yeah, that, that one was no question probably the dumbest play I've seen in a long time, and it's definitely not going to be defendable at all. Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. And some people were saying that the running back was at like 98 rushing yards and they might have been trying to get him to 100. If that is the reason for running the ball, that just adds to how funny it is. Like chasing chasing single game accomplishments and ending up losing the game because you get a little bit too greedy and don't respect your opponent. It just adds all to the karma of ending up losing that game. But we have we have touched on that one enough there. I think we all know Miami should probably pick something different in the future. Uh, the two left, the, the Giants and Seahawks decision to go for it on fourth and one and the Arizona going for two. I like defending the Giants and or this the Giants decision to go for it on fourth and one. So three minutes left in the third quarter. You could make it a one score game, but on a fourth and one, if you're not comfortable enough to go for it, then you're really just not comfortable enough to win the game. I feel like when you're in the red zone and you have a fourth and one, fourth and two, you should be going for it 100% of the time. Unless it's the very end of the game and you need two scores, you need to get points to be able to stay alive, you should be going for fourth and ones every time. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Now, I agree. And this one, I, I'm a Seahawks fan, so this one is like personal to me, I guess you could say. But... I, I agree there. That was the right move, especially for the Giants specifically, because they already this season are struggling getting any points on the board, scoring any touchdowns. And where was the third quarter? You have the ball at the Seattle 16-yard line. Even if you don't get that first down, Seattle has the ball back in their own territory, and you can still force them to either make a long drive or hopefully force a three and out to end up just getting the ball punted back to you. So I, I do agree there as well. You know, they needed something to go their way. And just talking a little bit through what actually happened there, they had a great play design. They converted it and they got it down. They were having a great drive and they actually got into, you know, within the five yard line, I think even, I think it was within five or 10 yards. And then, you know, the reason they didn't score here is solely because Seattle made a great play and Daniel Jones made a very questionable play. Yeah, so they got it down to second and goal at the Seattle five-yard line. And really, the only reason they ended up not scoring was because Witherspoon, the Seattle's rookie, played it perfectly, read the route, jumped it very early on, and he intercepted it and returned it 97 yards for a touchdown. And so I feel like a lot of people are going to take a look at that and say, well, they should have just taken the field goal, made it a one possession game because they didn't get points and Seattle actually got points instead. But yeah, I'm, I'm just fine with going it, going for it on that fourth and one. It was a Daniel Jones scramble that got 10 yards on the fourth and one play. So clearly it was a good play that they had that worked. It was just a very unfortunate ending that was due to really great defense played by Seattle there. So, you know, I, I agree there. I am going to defend that. Most teams are going to end up actually scoring in that situation. And so I, I think the Giants made the right call there. Yeah, I agree with you there. You can't really play the hypothetical game of how the drive ended after the fourth and one because the decision to go for it on fourth and one and give yourself a chance at a touchdown is still worth the risk of not getting it there, in my opinion. So even though it ended up in a pick six, that doesn't really go into account when you're talking about the fourth and one itself, which, again, we both agree would absolutely make that decision 10 times out of 10. And then the very last one that is now up for debate, 
We have Arizona versus USC. Arizona down a touchdown in overtime. They score, and instead of going for two, they tie it up with a PAT. They do end up losing later in overtime. Just want to hear your first thoughts about it. Yeah, this one was tricky for me. We actually had a text going back and forth a little bit during this game. I, I'm i usually on board with going for two in almost any situation. Personally, though, this is one of those rare situations where I was okay with them not going for two. And this is for a couple of reasons. You know, of course, they could get their that two-point conversion and win the game win against, you know, a top 10 team in USC, Heisman candidate, Caleb Williams, all of that good stuff, and, you know, come out of there with a win. But at the same point, if they don't get it, they lose no matter what. So this isn't, you know, that two-point conversion type of situation that we've talked about before where you're down two possessions, you go for it, and if you don't get it, you can go for it again the next time you score. This is score or you lose. That's all it is. And so to me, where Arizona, their offense was struggling a little bit towards the end of that game. They didn't have much momentum going for them. You know, that touchdown they scored in that first overtime was just one play. They got the ball. They scored immediately. So maybe you could argue there, well, that was them getting their momentum back, carry that into a two-point conversion. But two things that kind of counteract that for me is, first of all, they have a backup quarterback in with Jaden Delora out for that game. So they have a new quarterback. I believe he was a freshman who was in. That's a very hard situation to put your quarterback in. He just scored a touchdown. You know, you're really relying on a young guy who is inexperienced to be able to make a great play immediately after that. So that's a tough situation, I personally think, to put a quarterback in there. And then you add to the fact that maybe this is something kind of in hindsight that affects my opinion here, but Arizona didn't seem to have many options for a go-to short yardage play that they could have used for a two-point conversion. You know, we saw in the rest of the overtime, they had maybe one or two two-point conversion plays that would have worked. They ended up missing one of their two-point conversions. And so to me, I, you know, automatically question if they really have a go-to two-point conversion play that they could have used there that would have won it for them just because that is such a tough situation to be in. One, already with that freshman quarterback, and two, if you don't have that go-to play to use, then I am just fine with just going on to the next overtime and riding on your defense a lot more, especially where their defense had been playing fairly good up to that point. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to kick the PAT and keep the game alive there. This one is a little bit situational for me. So, in my opinion, had Arizona gotten the ball first, scored the touchdown, kicked the extra point, and USC followed it up with a touchdown, I am absolutely a proponent of them kicking the PAT, going into second overtime. The thing that changes for me, though, is when you are an objectively worse team, like when the talent level is just not there, I think you should go for two every single time. Now, Arizona will be the first to admit that they don't stack up against USC talent-wise the exact same or coaching-wise, anything like that. USC is a top 10 program, and they're a great football team. If you have the ability to take them out in one play, you have to take that because if you keep going to more overtimes, eventually the talent will win out. We saw this with Colorado State and Colorado earlier this year. Colorado State kicks the PAT, and the talent of Colorado ended up beating them out in the end. 
if you are the worst team talent wise you need to take your chances to end the game when you have them because you might not get that chance ever again so there are situations where i agree to kick it in arizona's situation i'm going for two 100 of the time that i have a top 10 team where i can get the win on one play i'm taking that every single time and, and I do, I do understand, you know, that stance on it, especially where if you are the objectively worst team, you know, go for the win there. The big difference for me specifically, though, is is that quarterback. You know, you instead of having Jaden Delora, who is in those in those situations before, who has that experience, you have your freshman with Noah Fafita, who is a good player. Don't get me wrong; he's a good quarterback. We saw it against Washington. We saw it against USC. He's a good quarterback who has a high completion rate. He's very efficient, makes good decisions. But I I just I struggle trusting a freshman in that situation to be able to make the right play call there. I mean, we we saw a similar situation with Zach Wilson against Boise State a few years ago where it was the run pass option, but he had to make the option read very early on because we had no timeouts we were very limited on time and because he didn't make the read fast enough he got tackled inbounds we end up losing the game because the clock runs out so it's not the exact same situation there but just the same concept where you're really expecting a freshman to make the right decision on a play call there where if you don't get it you're gonna lose that game so, so that's really, I guess, the difference maker for me, because if you listen to the episode where we actually talked about the Colorado State not going for the two points there, you know, I was on board with going for two there because of that same reason. But Colorado State wasn't down to their freshman quarterback who stepped in from a previous week due to injury. So that's that's kind of, I guess, the deciding factor there for me. Yeah, that is a good point. There's a lot that goes into these decisions. And that's why coaches are put under so much scrutiny is because everybody has their own opinion on what's right and what's wrong. And there never really is an objectively correct answer. Either one could have won right. And if Arizona wins this game, we probably aren't even talking about this decision in the first place. On your same point, this is why coaches get a lot of scrutiny, but this is also why coaches make millions of dollars. So they're, they're the ones that have to make those tough decisions. And it makes me glad that I am able to just call out those decisions for my couch without having the pressure of my career be on it. All right, well, taking a look just outside of BYU, now going off the same wave of what would you do here. We had some great games this past week outside of BYU in college football. We actually had some upsets. So taking a look at this past week of games, you know, my personal favorite games that took place, of course, we have to mention the Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas. That game was a crazy one. Oklahoma ends up winning that one. They get the upset 34 to 30. Quinn Ewers had a great game. So did Dylan Gabriel. So it was a it was a good game just overall. It's the perfect college football game that you look for. Um, another one that was super fun to watch for me personally, that was an upset, was UCLA getting the upset over number 13, Washington State. Now, Chris, I'm curious from your perspective, what were your favorite games? of the week this past week yeah the one that we were just barely talking about arizona at usc great game goes into overtime usc gets the win on a two-point conversion shootout great game there another one that i really liked was the lsu missouri game very high scoring affair lots of back and forth lots of great plays all around i was watching that one pretty closely as it was one of my games of the week to watch 
from the previous week. So I had a lot of fun watching that one as well. Awesome. Well, last week was a great week for college football, and this week is going to be the same. So taking a look at this week's slate of games, we have some good games all the way back up from Tuesday. This is kind of that point of the year where you really can't go a day without having football on because of Monday night football leading into Tuesday night match. Tuesday night Maction or Sunbelt games. So we've already had some good games this week. Just talking a little bit about those. We had Coastal Carolina beating App State 27 to 24. That was a super fun game to watch. I know we both watched it. We were texting about it last night. Live right now as we're talking, we have Sam Houston playing New Mexico State. And then we have even games tomorrow and Friday. But of course, the best games are to be played on Saturday. So let's talk a little bit about some matchups that we're most looking forward to this week coming up on either Saturday or even earlier this week. Yeah, my number one game of the week has got to be Oregon at Washington, two top 10 teams. I think both of these teams are legit. They are kind of juggernauts, honestly. Both of them have extremely high-powered offenses. It's going to be a great game to watch. I'm a little sad that it's at the same time as the BYU-TCU game, but I will be following along with that. And then one other one I wanted to point out, just as a BYU fan, I will be checking on the Arkansas-Alabama game. Arkansas played Bama close last year, and it would be pretty funny if Arkansas was able to go in and get a win at Alabama, give BYU a transitive win over Alabama. We always love our transitive wins in college football. Absolutely. I would, I would give anything to have a transitive win, even over Alabama. Now, my, my personal games of the week outside of the Oregon-Washington game that you mentioned um, I, I really love the number 10 USC at 21 Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming off that loss against Louisville. Would love to see how they bounce back, especially with the opportunity to beat a top 10 team in USC. It's a big rivalry game for USC and Notre Dame. You know, we saw USC does have a lot of weakness in their defense. Notre Dame has a great quarterback in Sam Hartman. See really how this matchup goes should be a good one. I think it's going to end up being pretty high scoring. So, that's one that I'm really looking forward to. And then sticking in the Pac-12 a little bit more, I am also really excited to see UCLA at Oregon State. You know, that's another ranked matchup in the Pac. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Personally, I'm really intrigued by Oregon State this year specifically, especially with all the realignment stuff going around. So that's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a 6 p.m. kickoff on Fox. If you want to watch that one, that should be a great one. But overall, we just have a good week of football coming up. So many great matchups. So you'll want to make sure you don't miss any. Make sure you watch as much as you possibly can. It's going to be a good weekend for the sport. Well, thank you so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Cougar Talk podcast. Make sure you follow us on our social medias. It's at Cougar Talk Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you are following us and interacting with us because coming up, we are going to ask some questions on there for you all. We'll give some shout outs on future episodes. So if you want a shout out like this one, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter so we can ask you a question, give you a shout out. So we got a couple of game predictions for BYU this week. Jason at Spidey Stowe on Twitter predicts that BYU is going to win 31 to 20. And then jumping over to Dustin on Twitter, he is at Dustin underscore Ivers. 
Dustin predicts 34-27 BYU win there. So if you want to get a shout-out like this one, make sure you follow our social medias. We'll get those questions out on there so you can answer them, and we will give you that shout-out on future episodes. Again, that's at Talk Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Now, we're super excited for this week's matchup against TCU. Make sure you tune in next week for our preview of Texas Tech at BYU. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Chris, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up? Go Cougs. Awesome. Go Cougs, and we will see you all next week. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.